I wanted to share this story. So one of the things that I sometimes struggle with, my family still tease me about a time when there were lots of people walking by. It was quite busy and loud. So I was just constantly crying. And immediately, I had a misstep. You never to place a glass ceiling. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Submissions Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Wherever you are, however you listen to your podcasts, we hope this podcast achieves its intentions of being a platform to explore and share stories from Muslims. We've mentioned before that we named this podcast Submissions for two main reasons. To remind ourselves that our daily activity, our prayer, our actions, our moments, our heartbeats are all for the sake of Allah. In submission to Him, we are able to grow and in submitting to His will and His plans, we are able to gain closeness to Him. In our podcast, we share stories from everyday Muslims doing everyday things. Some of the stories will make you chuckle, some of them will leave your heart glowing, some of them might make you feel anxious or feel on edge. All of them are true stories told with the authentic voices of the Muslims who experience them. Between the stories, you will hear from a couple of members of the submissions team talking and reflecting about the stories and sharing their own thoughts and insights while stimulating discussion. We pray we can achieve all that we intend and more for the sake of Allah to whom we submit. Bismillah, this is Submissions. Assalamu alaikum everyone, my name is Ain. I am a 28-year-old from Malaysia, currently living in London, working as a pediatric doctor. Assalamu alaikum everyone, my name is Omair. I'm a 21-year-old medical student from London. Today's episode is called Divine Journeys. We will hear three stories around Hajj or Umrah from three different people. Especially in this time of COVID-19, where all of our Hajj and Umrah plans have been cancelled, we'll be hearing stories about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens doors in unexpected ways for people to make pilgrimage. So I don't know about you, but for me personally, visiting Mecca is something that I've always wanted to do. And listening to stories of people's journeys just makes my yearning to go to see the Kaaba, to be a part of the people making Hajj and Umrah every year even greater. For me, uh, I do remember going on Umrah when I was really young, maybe seven or eight. And all that I remember from it was that I, I couldn't really understand the entire process or anything that was going on. But I still do remember just being in, in awe of the Kaaba and just looking at the unity of Muslims and just reflecting on everyone who'd once been standing where I stood at that moment or even people who dreamed of being in that same place. What I take most from hearing stories from Mecca is definitely the visuals. Like you said, um, seeing the Kaaba and seeing people all around of different ethnicities from different countries, all worshipping the same God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from that, we will introduce our first storyteller. Her name is Mahnoor, one of this podcast's co-hosts on her story of wanting to go to Hajj and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened doors for her beautiful journey. I feel very grateful to be able to say this, but I feel like in my life there's been only one occasion where I felt pressured from external forces to make a specific decision. 
And I wanted to share that story because it led to the most beautifully life-altering journey. So I started medical school at 19 and I had a very tangible path in front of me that would take five years to achieve. Along this journey, I was advised to take on a year of research for several different reasons, including career prospects and widened skill sets. I really resisted this advice because it was something I definitely didn't see myself doing or thriving in. But this recurring theme of the benefits of taking on this year of research kept coming up over and over again. And eventually I looked and I looked and I found something that was appealing enough for me to commit to. And in the name of Allah, I decided to take on the course in starting in August 2017. I was unaware at the time that when I made this decision, it was the first step in my da'as being answered. So now I'm going to take you slightly back to what my da'as were. Being raised a Muslim, I learned about the importance of the five pillars of Islam, the shahada, salah, zakat, psalm, and hajj. That final fifth pillar was always something distant in my mind. It was something, inshallah, I would aim to achieve at a later stage in my life, and it really wasn't at the forefront of my mind. However, when my brothers went for Hajj in 2014 and I heard about their experiences, it was the first time that I genuinely started to make sincere da'a for Allah to invite me for that experience as well. Realistically, I didn't see it happening anytime soon. I was in full-time education and my mahrams had kind of already recently been, which in my mind made it seem like an impossible feat to happen at any point in the next five to ten years. In the mid of 2017, my brother and sister-in-law told me over dinner one day that they had made the intention to go for Hajj. I was so incredibly excited for them that through my excitement, I didn't even see this as a potential opening for me. A few days later, I was thinking about what's stopping me from making the intention to go for Hajj. And almost instantly, a list of excuses came to my mind. University commitments, deadlines and exams. I opened up my calendar just to see out of curiosity when the Hajj dates fell and I saw little fireworks around the screen when I noticed that because of this year that I had decided to take on of research, my academic year started a lot later in the year and actually I had all of August free. And almost in the same breath, I closed my eyes and I set my intention to also go for Hajj, inshallah. And from that point, alhamdulillah, it was one door after the other opening that eventually led to me performing Hajj. All of my anticipated obstacles melted before my eyes as I experienced Allah opening doors for me to make my da'as come to life. And when I returned to face this year that I really felt I was forced into and I had to sign up to and I I really had had felt very resentful towards it. I, I entered it, alhamdulillah, with such a light heart and started off in a frame of mind that Allah is with me and, and made so much in this year possible before I had even begun that I really, really faced the year with so much faith and tawakkul in Allah that I don't think I would have gotten through the year had had things not played out the way they did. Because as I had suspected, it was a very academically challenging year for me. 
And really often those challenges didn't leave me with the promised benefit of, you know, an increased skill set. But Alhamdulillah, I really did feel equipped and strengthened to deal with the year that that I did face. And I'm always in awe when I reflect back on that time when I made the decision and didn't even imagine what what would be opening up for me through it. I love Mahno's story. Something that I really liked was when she was checking whether her university off dates matched Hajj dates on the computer and everything felt like fireworks when somehow everything clicked in place. Like before, she didn't think that Hajj dates correlated with her university holidays and she didn't have a mahram. But suddenly she was free on Hajj dates and there was a mahram for her in the form of her brother. I loved that that imagery in her story and also she also mentioned about um, not having a glass ceiling when it comes to your du'a with Allah. When I make du'a sometimes I don't believe that that du'a will come true because sometimes I think I am undeserving of it or it's just too lofty too lofty a du'a for it to come true but that's mm-hmm. that's in in a sense not believing that Allah can provide for anyone in any circumstance and he hears our du'a, our sincere du'a every time and he will provide what is best for us. So I think, yeah, that, that story is just so lovely. Um, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think uh, something that you said was that we often struggle to make du'as based on what we expect to come true or based on what's realistic in our minds. And I think that something that stood out from Mahnur's story, I actually wrote it down, was that she said that Realistically, she couldn't imagine herself going for Hajj soon. Yeah. And then she said that she also said that she definitely didn't want to do a year of research. And I think that um, what stood out to me with those those words in particular, the words realistically and definitely, are only to do with what's realistic and definite in our human brains and our human minds. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, but for for Allah, there's nothing that's 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 not within His realm of power. You know, Allah is all powerful, and something that might not seem realistic for us or something that we were definitely aware is not going to happen could easily become true. You know, Allah just says be and something is. Um, so I think that is the overarching theme of this story in particular. I think that um, Manu had one plan, but Allah had another one. And Allah had planned for her to go on Hajj before she'd even heard of this year of research, before before anything really and nothing is nothing is definite unless Allah plans for it to be. Yeah, and it's so relatable as well. How many times have we said we're definitely not going to do that and then we end up doing the same thing that we say mm-hmm. we're definitely not going to do. <laughs> so obviously our awareness and our knowledge is so limited compared to what Allah knows and what Allah has planned. So like Mahnoor, she had the very sincere intention of going to Hajj, but she didn't know mm-hmm. how to get there. But you just have to trust that everything will be in place in the right time and just make mm-hmm. effort. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. And, you know, um, you were talking about uh, like plans falling into place where we wouldn't expect them. But I think that this story is also an important reflection for what's going on in the world right now. Uh, we mentioned COVID-19 earlier on, but I think that 
You know, if you were to ask someone just a couple of months ago, someone who'd, who knew their Hajj plans to the T, you know, someone who knew everything about every single minute of their Hajj itinerary, they, they might have thought that it was realistic and definite that they were going to go on Hajj this yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, we plan, but Allah is the best of planners. This is a perfect segue into our next story. So this is a story that is very close to my heart because this is a story told by my grandmother who lives in Malaysia. Especially during this time in August when we are recording this, this is when I was supposed to go home for my cousin's wedding. And because of the coronavirus and everything else, um, I am not able to go there. So I really miss my grandma. But this is a story about my grandmother's hajj and how everything went into place very spontaneously, very simply. So let's hear from her. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is about my first hajj in 1980. I was then 43 years old and I'm now 83. My decision to go for Hajj alone was 40 years ago and it was a very sudden decision. One day after I heard from my two office colleagues that they were going for Hajj my mind and my heart were filled with the desire to go for Hajj too. And that evening after my husband said, yes, okay, I could go, my mind was set on the journey. The very next morning, I paid a visit to my ex-university classmate, who was then the Deputy Director General of the Pilgrimage Fund Malaysia, or known as the Tabung Haji. I did not make an appointment to see him. When I was let into his office, he was so surprised to see me, as we had not met since we left the university. After I told him of my mission, he almost shouted, Alhamdulillah, he was truly so happy perhaps remembering my university days when I was a very modern girl and all that. He was a very religious student and was president of the Islamic society. He then assigned a young officer to help me plan my Hajj. I felt so very grateful to Allah in answering my morning prayer to make it possible for me. Then a few days later, a friend telephoned to say that her friend named Zara, who I had not met, requested to be my companion since she heard I was going alone. She went to see the officer at the Tabung Haji and made all the arrangements for us to be together. We met for the first time at the airport before the flight. She was formerly a police inspector and she looked very fit. In flight, 
both of us learn everything about the Rukun Haji from a handy book provided by Tabung Haji. She said that she would take care of me and I said, Alhamdulillah. She really did so with all her police experience. Ya Allah, she was God sent and deleted all doubts about my fears of being alone in a strange place. I was already confident of Allah's blessings on my decision with His power and permission because without it, no matter how much I wanted, nothing could happen without His permission. The young officer at the Tabung Haji was at the Jeddah airport when we arrived after midnight and he did all the check-up for us. We were then huddled onto a bus full of pilgrims of mixed nationalities. And there was a young boy waiting for us when we arrived to a very cooling night in Mecca, just before the Sumuh prayer. We decided to do the early morning prayer first before we did the Tawaf and the Sa'i. Ever since arriving at the airport, I was really in awe of everything I saw and experienced. I felt physically and emotionally numbed, could not say much and mostly nodded to what Zahra was saying. It felt like I was in a dream. I had not imagined it to be such a wonder. Deep in the recesses of my mental lobes, I was all the time conscious of what my mother, my grandmother said before I departed. And that was to refrain from saying or commenting much or otherwise bad things could happen to me. I was so afraid of that. MashaAllah. I was in tears when I saw the Kaaba. From then on, I was mostly in tears, feeling so very shukur, so very grateful to be there in one piece, not feeling tired, not missing my four children I left at home. I felt like I was in a different world, one I would never imagine to be in. When we prayed, did the tawaf, sa'in, and prayed near the makam Ibrahim. I felt so humbled and so very grateful to Allah, the Almighty, for permission for me to be just at the place I have yearned to be. We were then guided to the apartment of Tabu Haji and had our breakfast. I then met three friends in the breakfast room. We then slept until Zohor time. Our surgeon in Mecca was smooth. It was October, but it was very hot outside. So other than being in the mosque, Zara and I stayed indoors most of the time, resting or reading the Al-Quran. The husbands of my three friends were also my husband's office colleagues and would volunteer to help me get cash 
buy fruits, juices, and help me in so many ways. I really felt well taken care of. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. I was surrounded by friends. I had no problem except to concentrate on the daily rituals and conserve my energy. We were then due to go to Arafah and Mina and we were under one Sheikh Tahir assigned by Tabung Haji to take care of us. The Sheikh was a very experienced chief and we had no problems with our rituals there. With my friends, we decided to return to Mecca on the second day at Mina and return daily in the evenings to do the stoning of the devil's ritual. Once, we had a night cool walk to Mina from Mecca and did our prayer by the roadside, which was quite an experience. We traveled by taxis to Medina and the same people stayed in one apartment of Tabung Haji near the Nabawi Mosque. On the last day, on the way back from prayer, I was feeling extra happy that I had completed the 40 rakaat prayers and I felt for a few moments very proud of my achievement. And immediately, I had a misstep and stepped into a dent in the ground and sprained my left ankle. Wow, I thought. I was so ujub of my success. And Allah gave me a nudge because of it. Reflecting on it now, I realized I forgot to remember that I was to be more conscious of what verse 23 in Surah 57 says, Wala tafrahu bima atakum. That you do not exult in pride over what He has given you. And Allah does not like everyone self-deluded and boastful. That was really a lesson. Fortunately, Alhamdulillah, my husband's friend, Magad, managed to massage the sprain and by next morning, I was able to walk to catch our flight home at Jeddah. I arrived home safely. I thanked all my friends with hugs and kisses at the airport and we met often after that back in Malaysia. Now, when I reflect on my journey on my first Hajj, I am reminded of what the last verse in Surah 29, Ankabut, says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا Which means, and those who strive for us, we will surely guide them to our ways. Thank you, Ya Allah, for your care and protection for a very good pilgrimage. Alhamdulillah.
Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I don't know about you, but I love listening to my grandma's voice. It brings me back a lot of memories when she used to um, tell me stories to sleep when I was little. So what do you think about my grandma's story? Yeah, I thought that was such an amazing story. I can't believe it was from 40 years ago. You know, just like while she was telling the story, I felt like I was really transported to everything that she was feeling. Um, I think that the main thing that stood out for me during this story was that um, it felt similar to Mahanur's story where uh, your grandma first had the desire to go on Hajj after hearing from other people's experiences. But then I think things kind of changed along the line where it felt like swept away in ways that she wasn't expecting. You know, she said that she was led into the office of the Hajj organizer. And then, you know, like we've been talking in this episode about doors being opened. Yeah. But this time, I think it genuinely sounded like she was just being whisked away, like off her feet yeah. by a magic carpet it's, it's, being it's, taken. It's not even a door, it's a gate. <laughs> it's a gate to like... Oh, a... really? A gate? Yeah. A symbolic, <laughs> symbolic. But yeah, you know, um, it just it just felt like she was being like swept off her feet, taken, taken directly to where she had to go. And yeah, like I think um, we've been talking about a lot about planning, but I think this is, really is like a standout example of how... We, we really aren't in control and um, everything everything good comes to us from Allah. Yeah, exactly. And I loved how she was just in the right place in the right time overhearing. So how mm-hmm. the journey started was how she, she was just there listening to her colleagues going to Hajj and she was like, oh, maybe I should go to Hajj too. <laughs> and then like from there, then she got it booked really easily and then she got a companion and then through that she made friends and her friends husbands um helped (laughs) helped her with her food with her uh, money with even massaging her sprained ankle in the end of the day (laughs) and it was just an amazing amazing story it's just like going like going for a walk in london and then um saying oh let me go to to a park and then suddenly when you go to a park very spontaneously, then there being a picnic blanket for you with all your friends there and you're having a great time. It's something, it's like something so magical. It's it's like in a movie or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think she said something about how she felt like she was in a dream. I felt like I was in a dream <laughs> yeah. listening to the story. So I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have experienced that. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, it just, it, it was just so nice, the the idea of everything being taken care of and it sounded like she really had full trust in Allah mm-hmm. and so we've been talking a lot about how like the how her plans had come into action and but I think the um, standout uh, learning point for me of this from this story was about how intentions can change and how it's important to like stay humble as well yeah so um, she was talking about um, accomplishing I think it was 40 rakahs and just just the feelings of like feeling like she'd done something really big and then immediately spraining her ankle afterwards yeah and you know um i think that personally i feel like if if i sprained my ankle i'd probably feel sorry for myself for quite a long time (laughs) um but i think that what really stood out was that she she saw it as allah giving her a nudge 
And yeah. um, I think it just comes back to um, we were we were talking about like having trust in Allah, and this is like a very very good example of it as well, where she realized that she was celebrating her own success, and then mm-hmm. Allah reminded her that our successes aren't really our own without His um, permission. Permission, yeah, yeah, exactly, permission. Yeah, in that instance, she thought of Allah, and maybe she she kind of forgotten Allah for a second. Um, mm-hmm. when, when she was happy that she completed the 40 rakats and then how Allah brought her back and said, remember me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a nice way to end the story as well. And how she also mentioned the ayat from the Quran and those who strive for us, we will surely guide them to our ways. This whole story started with um, a sincere intention and how Allah opened the floodgates to her journey towards him it's it's just very magical so i'm glad that you that you enjoyed this story as much as i did honestly she is a treasure trove of beautiful stories and this is just one of many 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 great stories of hers similarly the next story is from another avid storyteller this is mahnur's mom so the first storyteller's mom's story um, and this is a story regarding how she overcame great adversity during her trip to Umrah. Let's hear from her. Assalamu alaikum everyone. There are many things that have actually really affected me in my life. I have faced a lot of difficulties, a lot of illnesses. But let me start with one thing that had a lot of impact on me. This was about 10, 11 years back and I went for Umrah. Actually, the whole family went for Umrah. On the fifth day, I had promised my daughter that uh, we would go to masjid haram for uh, Fajr prayers and we would come back, let's say, around 12 because we had to leave. We had a flight to catch from Jeddah. Since, uh, since the night before, I had a severe headache and I kept telling my husband, this is a very strange headache, you know, it's, it's too much. And he said, you know, probably it's because, you know, in the last five days, we've hardly slept. We've been just praying and it could be because lack of sleep. I kept taking medicines, but nothing was working. Anyway, in the morning, we went for the Hajjad and after praying the Hajjad and Fajr, I had cold sweats and I told my daughter, you have to take me back back to the hotel because I am not able to do anything and I think I'm going to faint. And I had this excruciating headache, which was like killing me. So we rushed back to the hotel room. I don't know what is happening and all that, maybe lack of sleep, pain was absolutely unbearable. In this condition, we called the taxi, we started off for Jeddah. On the way, it was a strange thing that happened. The tire burst for the taxi and the taxi spun many times and I don't know how the taxi driver managed to stop the taxi and, you know, I could just, you know, through closed eyes just feel what was happening, but I didn't know actually. The pain was so much that I couldn't even, you know, see what was actually happening. 
Anyway, we changed the taxi. We reached uh, Jeddah. I went on the plane as well and we reached home. My husband told me, okay, you know, you try and sleep. Maybe after sleeping, uh, you might feel better. So I was like, okay, I tried to sleep. I couldn't sleep. I called him. I said, look, this pain is just unbelievable. And he said, then I think you must come to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. There, you know, they did, yeah, they did a CT scan and uh, they admitted me to the hospital. Uh, unfortunately, the radiologist said the CT scan was okay. Anyway, my pain was so severe and, you know, like I was getting, uh, you know, weakness in my legs and I was finding it very hard to even go to the toilet. So two nurses would have to come and carry me to the toilet or help me to the toilet and I couldn't stand even for the shower. I had to take a chair, sit and, you know, shower. And uh, the only thing in my mind was that I don't want to be somebody uh, without having the energy in my legs to walk or, you know, just pursue the life that I have been having. So I was just constantly crying. Constantly I would cry all night and constantly I would pray to Allah that Allah, please, when I leave this room, this hospital room, I want to go out walking. So anyway, I um, I was praying day and night. And the interesting thing was that this five days on Umrah, all that I had done was, I mean, continuously, I don't know why, I kept praying, Ya Allah, please don't make me dependent on others. Whenever you want to take me, take me when I'm walking on my own two feet. I just do not want dependence on anybody. So I don't know why this was my prime dua in this particular Umrah. I mean, Alhamdulillah, we had been for Umrah many, many times. But on this Umrah, I remember doing this dua all the time when this so so when i was in hospital and this pain started happening i just kept praying ya allah ya allah i just want to walk out of this room i don't want to be carried out of this room i want to walk out of this room but at that time the three four weeks that i was in the hospital i had very weak legs and it was very hard to walk. So after seven days, when they have a department meeting, radiologists asked, we have this patient of thrombosis, but I don't see any notes. What are we giving her? And he said, well, this patient, she's got a huge clot in her brain. And at that time, they just started running around. I even remember, you know, they came running to my room, they grabbed me, put me in the bed and moved me to the ICU. And I was like, what's going on? You guys were telling me you go home, you have pain, but we can't see anything. And they said, no, 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 just don't move. At that time, they did a further uh, MRI scan and they found out that the, the blood clot which was missed by the radiologist in the first place had really drawn a lot bigger. No medicine was being given to cure it. 
They started me on uh, blood thinners and obviously I was strapped up in different machines and, you know, felt like I was in space. And Alhamdulillah, 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 I started getting better and it was a miracle that Alhamdulillah, when I walked out of the hospital, I was absolutely fine in walking, in talking, in my sight, in my movements, in everything. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, it was such a miracle that I cannot even explain it in words. So, in fact, you know, I remember last year I um, had to go to my neurologist for my regular checkup and unfortunately he got sick. So, you know, they sent me to another neurologist and, you know, like I was just waiting and um, a lady doctor, you know, I like I, I see a woman, who, she just opens the door slightly ajar and you know, she just looks through the door and, uh, you know, like somebody's hiding and they're trying to look in and... And you know, and I started laughing, I was looking at her and she came in, she said, I'm so sorry, you're looking at me like this and you must be thinking this woman is crazy or not, I'm Dr. So-and-so and, uh, you know, I'm your neurologist today and I'll just, uh, I was just having a look at your history and your, your notes and everything. And she said, I didn't know what to expect. And I was really expecting somebody on the bed. So this can't be my patient. With those notes, no way. So she said, you know, that's why I was apprehensive. That what to expect? Do I go in and just ask her, are you the patient? Or what should I do? So she said, you know, she was really surprised to see me that comparing the notes with me, she thought the notes were of a totally different person. So Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, I just feel this is a huge miracle from Allah for me. And Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, uh, 12 years later, Alhamdulillah, I'm teaching, I'm walking, I'm talking, I do everything, Alhamdulillah. So I just wanted to share this uh, miraculous healing uh, with me that has personally happened and uh, i i can't i can't say thank you enough to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alhamdulillah rabbil alamin what really stuck out to me from that story was just the the level of pain in the story she was talking about how uh, at one point they got into a car accident where the tire burst for the taxi that they were in and yeah. the taxi was just spinning around loads of times but you know like she kind of just brushed over the fact that the the taxi had spun out of control and they'd all been in this crazy accident because of you know the fast pace of the story and I'm sure that that's probably how she was experiencing it at the time because she wasn't able to process anything other than the severe headache yeah. And you know, like, um, I think while listening to that, all I could think about was just like trying to imagine that level of um, pain. And, you know, the the thing that really stood out from this story was that it really was one big miracle, the entire story. Like, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah. Like you said, the pain when I experienced tremendous pain the last time was when I had my wisdom teeth out. 
And mm-hmm. I remember after the operation, like n- not being able to function just because of the pain. So I can't, I can't imagine um, Mahnur's mom going through this he- terrible, terrible headache for a week and then not having an answer to why she's having this pain. But mm-hmm. even in between that pain, she was able to make dua and able to cry out to Allah every night saying, please not let me be dependent on my family members, which is such a mother thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mothers being mothers, they care for everyone very selflessly. They care for their partners, their their children, everyone else in the community. But when it comes to themselves, they don't want to burden anyone. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's, it's, it's a very motherly dua, you know. Um, I, I guess if if you'd kind of like turned the dua around in terms of um, like like you'd never get a mother asking that other people aren't dependent on her because I guess that's that's what motherhood is, isn't it? Like yeah, taking care of people that are dependent on you, but mm-hmm. she doesn't want to feel dependent in the same way. And I think it, it yeah, it really is like a testament to her, I guess, level of faith, but also level of selflessness as well. Yeah, um, and it's very interesting how like. That du'a was her main du'a during her umrah, the mm-hmm. the umrah that she just came from before she became really ill. The significance of that du'a during that umrah was further highlighted when she was ill. And you know, I, I was wondering whether maybe she might have felt like the du'a was being answered way earlier than she expected, you know, when she was losing control of her own legs and wasn't able to go to the toilet by herself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, just in the in the days before that, on her five days of Umrah, if the only dua that she'd been making would be that she'd be walking on her two feet when she was taken by Allah, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it must have been a very, very scary thing to that to, to have gone from being so independent to so yeah. dependent just within a matter of days. Yeah, it's really scary. But it's also quite amazing how she defies all medical textbooks because she had mm-hmm. a major stroke and she didn't have any disability from it, so much so that when she went for a follow-up appointment, her doctor had to, to take a double take on, <laughs> is this really my patient yeah. um, with this major stroke? And she was teaching, she was walking, she's independent, and 12 years on, she's healthy. So it, mm-hmm. it really goes to show that we, we don't really know what's going on in our own bodies, let alone the universe. Mm-hmm. Only Allah knows that. And this this actually really reminds me of what we were saying at the start of this podcast. You know, after we heard Mahno's story, we were talking about how she was talking about things being re- realistic and definite. And you know, like, mm-hmm. if we're being honest, me and you are both kind of from medical backgrounds. I, I know I'm just a student, but um, we, we both had the same... <laughs> yeah, soon, inshallah. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of if, if we talk realistically and definitely... If if I was to hear about a patient who'd had a stroke, who'd gone on a flight, who hadn't received any medication for a week, I think that the realistic thing to expect wouldn't be someone walking out of the hospital and going back to their life. Exactly. It would be, I, I would definitely and realistically expect something much, much worse. So I think mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, although it's, it, it was a funny thing at the end of the story where she said that she was laughing at the doctor, peeking through and, and looking at her. Yeah. I think it's because maybe when we think of things in terms of how realistic they are, we don't really give much insight into Allah's power and into into just 
just how miraculous Allah's actions in our lives can be as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her dua during Umrah was um, that Allah would take her while she was walking on her own feet and that she wouldn't be dependent on others. And I think that, you know, immediately I feel like I would lose hope if just within a few days of making that dua, if my feet were taken away from me. Yeah. But, you know, her, her. she said that her follow-up dua during the hospital stay was, Allah, please, when I leave this room, I want to go out walking. And, you know, it was just like the, the constant hope and trust in Allah's plan, yeah. I think, is, is something that we can really learn from. Yeah, because, yeah, like imagine being on a hospital bed, not knowing what's wrong with you and everybody else not believing that you're having this terrible headache. It must be an awful experience. Mm-hmm. But Alhamdulillah, Allah has planned for her to be healthy up mm-hmm. to this day. Alhamdulillah. And may she continue to be healthy for a very, very long time. Amin. So that is the conclusion of our three stories. We hope that you enjoyed it. From these three stories, we have learned that ultimately, we as human beings are full of limitations. But if we depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is all limitless, all powerful and all wise, He can provide us from His bounty in ways that we don't expect. We've also learned about how hardship and ease come hand in hand. This episode has been about divine journeys. We often look at difficulties we face as the end of the road, but we should really be looking at them as bumps on the way. In our journey of life, Allah is our guide and companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Inshallah, we look forward to sharing more stories next week. Until next time, this is Ayn and Umair signing off. We love being able to share this podcast with you, but it's only possible with the help of your wonderful and insightful stories. So please get in touch via our website, www.submissionspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Submissions Podcast on Instagram and at Submissions Pod on Twitter. Jazakallah khair for listening. Until next time, this was Submissions. Mm-hmm.